Today we continue our series in the Misfits of Christmas. And as I mentioned at the beginning of the service, we, can't, we come to Joseph, the stepfather of Jesus. And like Mary, uh, we probably expect Joseph uh, to be somebody, uh, maybe like a prominent figure, so that when Jesus grows up, uh, he has a platform to speak uh, from. Uh, maybe we expect him to be some kind of uh, outspoken leader uh, that is always giving Jesus advice. Someone who's going to be a good mentor for Jesus. Maybe someone who's wealthy so he could take care of Jesus. This is how we kind of maybe picture Joseph. But the truth is, we don't know much about Joseph. We know that he's a carpenter, and we know that he's a descendant of King David. Other than that, we don't know much about him. Uh, in fact, if you look in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, those biographies of Jesus, Joseph is at the very beginning of Matthew and Luke. After that, he's not mentioned at all. Uh, Jesus was 12 years old at the temple, and Joseph was there. But after that, Joseph is gone. We see Mary throughout Jesus' ministry, throughout his life. Uh, she was there uh, trying to talk him out of saying things like, other people are my brothers and sisters. Those who believe in me are my brothers and sisters. She tried to pull him out of a house. She was at the foot of the cross as Jesus died. But Joseph was nowhere to be found. And so commentators believe that Joseph uh, died somewhere between Jesus' 12th birthday and the start of his ministry at 30 years old. But even more puzzling, well, maybe puzzling is not the right word, uh, but maybe even more intriguing, is Joseph doesn't say a word in Scripture. There's not a single phrase, not a single word from Joseph. We're just told about him and what he does. And so if you're imagining this outspoken, great, talkative leader, that's not Joseph. He's quiet. He's reserved. He's contemplative. This is Joseph. And yet, we have a lot to learn from this misfit of Christmas. We, even better, we can learn a lot about our God and His glory through Joseph. So that's what we're going to look at today. We're going to look at this misfit. And what we're going to see, and, and how he's a misfit, is really how he responds to his life situation. And if you're following along in your worship folder, here's your first uh, fill-in-the-blank. Joseph experienced a life-changing event. And what we're going to see is the way that Joseph responds to this life-changing event makes him a misfit because it's probably not how any of us would respond. At least not the way we want to respond. And so let's go ahead and look at Joseph. We are in Matthew chapter 1 today, and we're going to begin with verse 18. Remember, uh, for context purposes, Mary had been told that she was going to have the baby Jesus, that the Holy Spirit was going to come on her, she was going to conceive and then uh, give birth to Jesus, who would save his people. Uh, and, and this would all be while she was a virgin. And she got up immediately and left to go visit her cousin Elizabeth down in the Jerusalem area. So Nazareth was way up here, Jerusalem down here, 
And that's where she went. Joseph knows nothing about this. All he knows is that she's going to visit her cousin. And here's what happened. This is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. We read this story every Christmas. Every Christmas we read these words, and yet, uh, have we ever stopped to ponder just how life-changing of an event this was? If you think about it, Joseph is pledged to be married to Mary. We talked about that last week, betrothed or pledged. He had, they had signed the marriage documents. The, the marriage was official. But unlike today's culture where we save up all the money and then we get married and have the ceremony and, and have the reception at the same time, they did it differently. They signed the documents up front and then they started saving for the reception and the ceremony. And it wasn't until after that ceremony and reception was over that then, then they would go home as husband and wife. So they would sign the marriage documents but still live separately, still not have sexual relations, and they would stay apart until the reception was over. And so we are between the time when they signed the marriage documents before the reception. No sexual intercourse. But Joseph is saving up money. He has future plans. And so being a carpenter, maybe he stayed at the shop late at night, picking up some extra jobs, uh, working on cabinets or tables and chairs late at night, uh, trying to make extra money so that they could get married quicker. Because as soon as he saved up enough money, the reception could happen. And as he's working late, you wonder if he's daydreaming about the future. You wonder if he can picture that day when he brings Mary home as his wife. He starts daydreaming about that first year of marriage where uh, they're happy together, living as husband and wife, and then the great news. Mary's pregnant. They go across town and and tell their parents, and everyone's so excited. Hugs are being given out. Maybe everyone's drinking wine except for Mary. Uh, Everyone's having a good time, smiling. (coughs) And then... Maybe he's daydreaming about when that baby's born and maybe it'll be a boy and he can name that boy Joseph after him. And he sees Mary holding the baby boy off in a corner while she's nursing him and his heart's just filled with joy, filled with happiness. Maybe he's daydreaming about how that baby's going to grow up and he can teach that boy everything that he knows. He can teach him how to be a carpenter just like him. Maybe this is what he's thinking about as he's working late. But then Mary comes home from Jerusalem and something's noticeably different. She's pregnant. She wasn't pregnant when she left. They hadn't had sexual intercourse. And now she's trying to convince him that this baby was conceived by the Holy Spirit. She's trying to convince him that this baby is going to be the Messiah, the the one that uh, God prophesied about all the way in Genesis 3.15. This baby is going to be that one, Joseph. Now, Joseph didn't have any kids, but he knew where they came from, and, and this isn't how it works, Mary. And so that left him with only one option. Sweet, innocent Mary 
must have done the unthinkable. Cheated on it. Found love in another man's arms. How could this happen? This is a life-changing event. All of Joseph's plans, gone. No longer there. He's going to have to start over. How could Mary do this? Why? And his heart is broken in a million pieces. We live in a broken world, don't we? We live in a broken world where plans are broken. Plans change. Life-altering, life-changing events happen. For instance, how many of you, when you graduated high school or college, thought you'd be living in Liberty Hill, Leander, or Cedar Park? How many of you thought you would be where you're at today, doing what you do? Probably none of us. Life changes. Events happen that change our lives, and sometimes those events are painful. They're hurtful. Because we live in a sinful world. We live in a sinful world where bad things happen because we live with sinful people and we ourselves are sinful. We cause pain and hurt in other people's lives. Not always intentionally, sometimes unintentionally. Just like other people cause pain and suffering in our lives. It's sin that's behind broken marriages. It's sin uh, in some way, shape, or form that causes you to lose a job. It's sin that uh, is behind all sicknesses, diseases, cancer, strokes, uh, medical issues, mental illnesses. It's sin that is behind the tragedy of death. It is sin that causes our hearts to break into a million pieces. And like Joseph, when we encounter a life-changing event, we can be left with our hearts broken, like him, because we live in a sinful world. We're sinful, and others are sinful. But the question is, how do we respond in those situations? Well, let's see how Joseph responded. Verse 19. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. Joseph thought through the situation and he could only come to one conclusion. She must have cheated on him and so he's got to divorce her. He's got to end this marriage. And he had one of two ways to do it. The first way was a a little more harsh. Uh, He could bring her before the court, make it public, accuse her of adultery, and they'd go to trial. It would be very public. Everyone would know about it because they're from a small town uh, and there's a trial going on. Everyone's going to hear about it. So everyone would attend. And the, the court would try to figure out, did she actually commit adultery? Well, the evidence is stacked pretty high against her. She's pregnant. And there's only one way to human knowledge that you become pregnant. And contrary to what she says, it's not by the Holy Spirit. Uh, and so, she would probably be found guilty. Joseph would be absolved, his reputation intact. She then could be put to death according to the law. The second option is he could simply write out a certificate of divorce that says, Mary... I'm Joseph, I'm going to divorce you, no reason. And bring two witnesses, give her the certificate, 
Marriage ended. They go on. In that situation, Joseph's reputation would take a hit, wouldn't it? Because nobody would know why he's divorcing Mary. There's no reason. So people are going to start to ask questions. Why, Joseph, are you divorcing your wife? Well, Joseph, she's pregnant. She's with child. Most likely your child. And you're leaving her? Well, what's the reason? And by the way, Joseph, you're not supposed to be living together with Mary yet because the reception hasn't happened. And you're having an intercourse with Mary. What, what's going on here? And you see, so option number two, really, he's going to take the hit because people are going to start to ask questions. And yet it's option number two that he chooses. He decided that he's going to divorce her quietly. He's going to just fill out this certificate and hand it to her, terminate the marriage, and move on. And so as he's lying there, as he's going through this situation, his heart in a million pieces, Joseph responds with grace. And that's your point number two. In his hurt, Joseph responded with grace. And that's not exactly how we would probably respond. Or would it be? When we hurt, how do we respond? When our, when our hearts are shattered into a million pieces, what's our response? Is it grace and love? Or do we hurt others? There's a saying that goes, hurt people, hurt people. Hurt people, hurt people. In other words, when I am hurting, my natural tendency is to lash out and hurt somebody else. For instance, if I'm scared and worried about the future, and I'm nervous, I'm, I'm worried, I'm fearful, and somebody tries to come along and comfort me, my initial reaction is I'm tempted to lash out at that person and say, I don't want to talk about it, stop talking with me, I'm done talking about this. It's to lash out. When you lose your job, we're tempted to lash out at the company and talk badly about it. Why? Because we're hurting. Our hearts hurt. And so we're tempted to hurt others. When a coworker, a friend, a loved one hurts us, we want to lash out at them and get our revenge. We want them to hurt just like we're hurting. And sometimes, sometimes we don't hurt people, but instead we turn that hurt and hurt God. To be sure, every sin that we commit hurts God. Because ultimately, every sin is against God, right? If I punch you, I'm not really sinning against you. I'm actually sinning against God, first and foremost. Because He tells me to love my neighbor. And so I've broken His law. Every time we sin, we hurt God. But sometimes, we turn and we lash out at God. As we get that diagnosis from the doctor... And we're filled with hurt. We're filled with fear and anxiety. Uh, We turn and we lash out at God. God, how could this happen? Don't you care? I've been praying for weeks for you to heal me and nothing's happening. I thought you were a good God. And we lash out at Him. Or maybe the tragedy happens. A death in the family. And as our hearts lie there in a million pieces... 
And as we're in the depths and we try to pick up every piece, we turn on God. God, how could you do this? I thought you loved me. You claim to be a good God, but how is this good? How, how is you doing this to me good, God? You could have prevented this. I guess you're not so loving. Hurt people hurt people. That's what we're tempted to do. And yet Joseph responds with love and grace. And as he responds with love and grace, as he has in mind to do this quietly, God sends an angel to him. And here's what that angel says. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus because He will save His people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call Him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Do you recognize this last verse right here? That was from Isaiah chapter 7 last week that we had in our Scripture reading. There Matthew tells us this child is the fulfillment of Isaiah chapter 7. God with us, Emmanuel. But I wonder how long it took Joseph to fall asleep that night. He's hurting. If, if you've ever been cheated on, you know the pain that it causes. You, you know how it just... The betrayal. And how could she or he do this to me? It, it, it just shatters your heart. And you lie there awake, unable to sleep. And so I wonder how long it took Joseph to fall asleep as he's thinking through all this. Sweet, innocent Mary, how could she do this? And then he drifts off to sleep. And an angel appears to him. And the angel says, Do not be afraid, Joseph. Don't be afraid. Because that child, that is from the Holy Spirit. That child is the promised Messiah. And Joseph, when she gives birth to that boy, you give him the name Jesus, which means the Lord saves. The Lord saves. Because He would save His people from their sins. You see, that baby boy was born to save us from the brokenness of this world. That baby boy was, to, was born to save us from the hurt, the pain, the sorrows, the tragedies of life, everything that makes our hearts break into a million pieces. He was born to save us from that. Because that's not how God designed this world to be. It's not how God designed us to live. And so that baby boy was born to save us from this world and to bring us to heaven where he will wipe away every tear from our eye. He was born uh, to bring us to heaven where there is no pain, no sorrow, uh, no broken plans, but only joy, happiness, smiling faces, laughter, Hearts filled with love as they are completely healed forever. But in order to do that, this baby boy needed to be born and this baby Jesus needed to deal with the root of all pain and suffering. And that root was sin. 
And so this baby boy Jesus had to grow up and He had to live that perfect life. That life that God demanded of you and me. He had to die on the cross where He paid for each and every one of our sins. The punishment that brought us peace, peace with God, it was on Jesus. And by His wounds we have been healed. That baby boy needed to be grow up and to be placed in a tomb where three days later he would burst forth from the grave, rising from the dead, opening the gates of heaven to us, repairing our relationship with God because all of our sins have now been taken away. Gone. Done with. And now one day, we are going to be with Jesus forever. The Lord saves And that is the most important thing to us because that means that one day we get to live forever with Jesus. And I want you to know that that's the most important thing in this life because what I'm about to say next, you might think, whoa, pastor, hold on. We are so thankful for that. And we can't wait for that day. But how does that help me now? That's a long ways off. I have suffering and pain right now. So am I just supposed to look forward to the day when, uh, when it's over? Look at verse 23. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph got up the next morning, was his pain and suffering over? Yes, he found out good news. Mary didn't cheat on him. But he'd still have troubles in this life. He'd still have life-changing events happen to him. He'd still have pain, suffering. His heart would break again. But he had the promise of God with us. Emmanuel. And that's a promise you and I have. We are going to have unexpected things happen in our life. Unexpected events that's going to cause pain. Our hearts are going to break in a million pieces. But we have the promise that God is with us. That we aren't alone. And so as you're in the depths and you're trying to pick up the pieces of your heart, God with us. He's there picking up the pieces with you. As you get that diagnosis from the doctor, God with us with His arm around you. As you lay at night, up all night, fearful, worried about the future, filled with anxiety, God with us. He's there. He knows the future. He's guarding and protecting you. He's figuring out your future. Uh, As you're carrying the load of this life on your shoulders, God with you. God with us. As He helps you carry that load. You see, that's what makes Christmas so joyful. Joyful not because Jesus was born to take our pains and sorrows away right now, but that He saved us from our sins, saved us from this world so that one day we can live with Him forever. But also, Emmanuel, God with us. No matter the circumstances, no matter what you're going through, God is with you. He is with you, guiding you and leading you, and He promises to be with you forever until that day when He brings you home to heaven where you will see Jesus, the God who's been with you since before you were born, but you've never seen. That day when you see Him face to face and He wipes the tear from your eye and He says, Welcome home, good and faithful servant. Well done. That will be a joyous day 
when our pain and suffering is over, when uh, our hearts will be mended together forever, as we see loved ones and family again, as we see our Savior every single day, and we're with Emmanuel forever. God with us. Joseph had that promise. This was God's word to him. And how did he respond? Joseph listened to God's word. Here's what we're told. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus, the Lord saves. Joseph got up and he listened to God's word. Uh, Was it going to take away his pain, his hurt? No. But he trusted that Emmanuel, God with us, was with him. Christmas is a joyful time, but Christmas is also a sad time uh, for some people. Some of us were really happy about Christmas. Some of us are sad about Christmas uh, because we don't have family around. But this Christmas, be filled with joy. Joy is different than happiness. Joy is being uh, uh, content in your circumstances because you know what Jesus has done, what He is doing, and what He will do. Joy is being content in your circumstances because you know what Jesus has done, what He is doing, and what He will do. And we have joy this Christmas because Joseph named that baby Jesus, Jesus, the Lord saves. He was born to save us from our sins, born to save us from this world of pain and suffering. And we're filled with joy because God promises Emmanuel that God is with us through everything, no matter what circumstances. May that be the reason for our joy this Christmas, this upcoming year, and every year to come. Amen. Let's pray. Dear Lord Jesus, we thank You. We thank You first and foremost for saving us from our sins. We thank You that uh, Emmanuel, that Your name is Emmanuel, and that uh, that means that God is with us. And so we thank You for always being with us uh, no matter what life experiences we have. We ask you to continue to be with us. Let that message fill our hearts this Christmas season that we may be filled with joy both now and forever. Amen.